This is Alex, uh, store manager at Librairie St. Henry Books, here for my first episode of the Weird Era podcast. And I'm so thrilled to be talking today to Francesca Ekwuyasi about her debut novel, Butter Honey Pig Bread. Uh, Francesca is originally from Lagos, Nigeria, and now resides in Halifax. Uh, she's a writer and an interdisciplinary artist. Butter Honey Pig Bread was long listed for the 2020 Scotiabank Giller Prize and is about to be defended on national television as a Canada Reads 2021 finalist. Uh, Butter Honey Pig Bread is, quote, a masterfully crafted intergenerational tale of choices and their consequences, of motherhood, of the malleable line between the spirit and the mind, of finding new homes and mending old ones, of voracious appetites, of queer love, of friendship, faith, and above all, family. Francesca, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So this novel has uh, so many kind of dimensions to it. So I'll start with the one aspect of it that I loved, and that is very super sensible. And uh, that is how the character of Ken Biranachi really straddles the line between this world and the next, uh, quite literally the spirit world. Uh, she believes herself to be an Obanje, a spirit who plagues a family with grief by dying in childhood, only to be reborn in a constant cycle. And this gives her insight and a, a kind of access that others don't have in this story. Uh, where did you find the mindset to explore this character who is so liminal and in between in her very definition? Thank you. Um, well, the Obanje is, is, you know, part of Nigeria, but more specifically Igbo culture, like the, the understanding of a world beyond the, the physical and so Ogbanje is of that world. And, and it's like it's part of Nigerian folklore and mythology. And in Yoruba, Yoruba culture, the word for a similar idea is abiku. So it's just something I've always been aware of as, you know, I grew up in Nigeria. So it's something I've always been aware of. Um, yeah. And I was just really interested to explore what, what it would mean for Anokbanje to choose to, to live past childhood because this, uh, the, the folklore around Obanje is that they're born, they're spirits, they're like, you know, amoral spirits that are born mm -hmm. and their sole purpose is to die in child, like as children, either infants or, you know, small babies uh, and be born over and over again. Uh, and, you know, of course, from like a moralistic or human point of view, that's cruel. That's a painful thing for someone to experience. Um, and usually they'll plague, plague the same woman. Um, and I, well, yeah, I was really interested to explore what would happen if Anabandji chose to stay alive um, past childhood and what that would mean, you know, if going against, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> going against um, their nature, essentially, what that would look like to human beings and what that would mean internally. Um, yeah, that's, I was just curious <laughs> to explore it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I guess that kind of, you 
in a way answered my next question as well, um, which is, were those concepts and beliefs that you write about in this novel personally kind of present for you throughout your whole life? Were these stories that you grew up with? Were they stories that you just kind of heard on the sidelines and wanted to explore that more through this story? They're definitely stories I grew up with and read about. Um, so Ben Okri has a book called The Famished Road. It's a trilogy, actually. Mm-hmm. And it does. It, it looks at the, the life of this child who is an Obanje, who is moving through the world. Um, and it's, um, yeah, so it's just something that has existed. I think I, I, I don't know if I've met a Nigerian who doesn't know <laughs> or, or hasn't heard of, you know, Obanjes and um yeah, and sometimes a funny... Th- have you seen this movie called um, Witch? Uh, it's an African movie. Oh. I think it's called The Witch, something like... Oh, no, sorry. I Am Not a Witch is what it's called. No, no, I haven't seen it. I've heard of the movie, though. Yeah. Well, the, the idea is that um, just the belief, like a heavy belief in the spiritual sometimes has people believing that children are witches or banjes, you know. Um, I mean, it's a lot more nuanced and in-depth than that. <laughs> but the idea of a badly behaved, badly behaved child, you know, must be evil, must cannot possibly just be a human child that's, you know, been silly or, I don't know, badly behaved. <laughs> they must be evil or a witch or an banje. So I definitely heard that. A lot, not not about myself, just in general. <laughs> um, and I think most Nigerians just know this thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> great, great, great. Um, so yeah, and I mean now to kind of jump from Kambiranachi's story, um, while she does kind of exist in this very in between and like I said, liminal space, uh, the twins, Taya and Kainde, definitely are more firmly planted in their living, um, albeit in different ways. So you jump between these three voices, these three main voices so well. And I know this novel has a long history of writing and realization. Um, so I kind of want to ask if you could just give us a little brief history of that, and uh, then I'll have a follow-up for you. Can you tell me what you mean by writing and realization? Um, uh, So in my research, when I was like researching for this interview, um, I read a couple things that you started writing this in 2013. Mm-hmm, and yes. it kind of evolved. So if you oh, could just kind yes. of give us a little breakdown in that sense. Absolutely. Yes, I started writing it in 2013. Um, I was in Lagos. And I wasn't sure what I was writing. I just knew two things. I, I wanted to give readers the option to believe Cambrianacci or not. And I really wanted it to be grounded in the idea that this is her own perception of herself and the way she understands herself in the world. And the second thing I knew was that I wanted to write about twins. Um, and the more I kind of explored Cambrianacci and her childhood um, and, and parts of it, you know, I was in Lagos when I was writing it, so I was really wanting to write what I was seeing. So some of the parts that took place in Lagos, I wrote, like, early on, even though they didn't in the book, they didn't end up showing up a bit later. Um, and so parts like uh, the Church of Assumption, that's a church I went to, you know, 
Um, Ikoi is a neighborhood I grew up in. Uh, Queen's College is a school I went to, you know, so writing kind of what I was seeing and what I knew. And similarly, when I moved to Halifax for grad school, then I started writing the parts in Halifax as of what I was seeing. And as as I was learning through research, um, research for grad school, and just because I like to learn, um, I was learning about the city and I was like, oh, if this character lives in the city, how would um, how would someone coming into the city in the fall from London with her experiences, how would she see it? And, and so, yeah, I was pretty much writing as I was seeing. Um, and again, I love Montreal so much. And I try to go every year. I try to go for like at least three weeks. Um, so whenever I visited as well in Montreal, I would walk around and take notes. Um, so... Yeah, that's what it looked like. And then and then the plot, the way the plot unfolded, as you if you've read it, you know it's not terribly plot driven. <laughs> it was <laughs> because I was like I didn't, you know, it, I I didn't have a plot. I just wanted these women to live their lives separately and then have to come together again. Um and yeah, the more I learned about the world and places I was visiting um, and the news, the more I just kind of wrote, um, not in response, but it was um, definitely feeding my own learning mm-hmm. in my personal life was feeding my fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, and, uh, so then the follow-up question, which again, you've kind of answered my question <laughs> in, <laughs> in what you said. Um, but going back to these three distinct voices that you've so successfully crafted, um, were there specific times when you felt more in tune with a certain character over this span of years? Um, and because wherever you were in your life chose to hone in on those characters, or did you always kind of work within the balance that we end up reading? I think that... Um I don't know the answer. <laughs> but just, you know, because in many ways, what because I live in Halifax, the parts in Halifax, the parts I wrote, um, and even when I was editing, they were more vivid to me because I'm like, I'm here and I can see it. But when I was writing, uh, you know, during a residency in Montreal, I was there and I could see it. So I don't really know. <laughs> I think Cambria Natchez's character was the, you know, like... Taya and Kende essentially like in the same generation as I would be mm-hmm. like give or take a few years and so I, f- I felt it felt more slightly more effortless to tap into like the mindset of a 20 something to like early 30s black immigrant woman you know mm-hmm. um whereas for Kambi and Nachi, I really ha- I had to research a lot and um and like empathize um in a way that was more removed from my own experiences. Because whenever I read characters that reflect a life I recognize, it's e- it's just more natural to be like, oh, I know that thing. But with Cambria and Nachi, separate from like the emotional aspects of like experiencing loss and fear and disappointment and rage, her life is something that I haven't, you know, <laughs> experienced anything like that. So it took a lot of like imagining and and imagining who this person was and like trying to empathize so that I could write it um yeah so yeah I do I suppose I don't really know the answer but yeah 
That's fine. No, I mean, so I guess it was kind of like a mix of both, right? Where you, mm-hmm. and I only ask the question because I do find that it is such a beautifully, beautifully balanced novel, um, even at the times that it isn't necessarily super plot heavy, which I would also kind of argue that it is like, there's a driving force, there's a driving plot that's like pushing everything forward. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a writer? Um, no, I used to write uh, when I was a student in literature. Uh, but here we have CJEP, so like college. So it was 10 years on. So I, <laughs> I haven't picked up anything in a long time. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so I, I think... Personally, Tai uh, would be my favorite character if I had to pick one in this novel. Um, and I think her parts of the story tend to be so vivid and so memorable because of her sense-driven descriptions of uh, what's happening around her and so specifically the food that she cooks. Uh, so many of her recipes are driven by who or what is happening. See, and I quote, this is how you make a salted caramel cake for your twin sister who you haven't seen in God a long time. Um, <laughs> so my question would be, do you think Taya is so good at cooking because she either willingly or unwillingly puts so much of her own soul into it? Yes, I, I think um, that character... Um, you know, because of, as we're all products of our experiences, right? So because of her own experiences from childhood and from, like, you know, just deep, like what a separation can cause in somebody. She's definitely hedonistic and, like, immediate, like what is real is what she can feel, right? And so the senses, um, and, and uh, yeah, I think if you like certain type of pleasures, you definitely become good at them because you you go <laughs> it's a muscle you revisit the same thing so if you like food then you you really get to know food I think and like really get to discern flavors and and for some people that means you get to you learn to cook and not everyone wants to learn to cook even if they love it but I think people who love food and and learn to cook are really good at it because <laughs> you just want it to be delicious um I love to eat with people who love food for that reason. And, and you know, I, you know you, it's arguable that everyone loves food. But you know when some people just really love food? And not like a foodie in the annoying, pretentious sense <laughs> of the word. <laughs> um, but, you know, because it's not about, you know, the ex- whether food is expensive or if it's the best restaurant. But people who just appreciate and take the time to savor mm-hmm. a delicious thing or fruit or just a, a smell. Um, I think then, yeah, you get good at it. And so for that character, that was part of her. Uh, in the, and, you know, the character sketches, very informal, very fly by the seat of my pants. But I was like, I want one <laughs> one of the twins to be uh, slightly more cerebral um, and, and, and move with a bit more fear. And the other one to be a lot more rooted in, like, the sensual and uh, less fear and kind of more... Um, like hunger and like desire. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I only asked the question. No, it's great. I, I <laughs> like, I only asked the question because I found 
with so many of her recipes and so many of the things that are like simultaneously happening around her there that in turn influences the recipe and i think good food is soul food and you kind of have to give pieces of yourself up uh to make food yeah. that really really responds with people and i think Tai does that. I think she really is kind of injecting her own moods and her own feelings into these dishes as she's crafting them kind of based on what's flying around her at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I just, I fell in love with the character in that sense. Um, <laughs> and I guess, so a follow-up for this question would be, what is your relationship to food through a Tai mm-hmm. lens? Do you think you're a good cook? <laughs> <laughs> I love food and I love to cook and um, and I love to consider who I'm cooking for because I have friends, some friends who like don't eat dairy or gluten or plant-based. Um, and so because I want to cook for them and eat together, then, then I have to learn. <laughs> um, so I, I love to cook. I, I like what I cook. <laughs> Whether or not I'm a good cook, is, I guess it's up to the people. Yeah. I'm a good cook. I am. You know what? Take it. Take the credit. Take the credit. It's kind of difficult to read this book also and imagine that you would be a bad cook. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you have to have some kind of knowledge of this to like transmit it so successfully in this novel. <laughs> so Thank I'm glad you. to hear that you think you're a good cook. <laughs> yeah. Since I was quite young, I would watch um, Jamie Oliver. Um, I and I always say Jamie Jamie Oliver because one of his first shows was The Naked Chef, and it was just him in his I think earlier mid twenties in his tiny London apartment, cooking for his girlfriend and his friends, and it was so special. And I was so into it. I would just watch every cooking show I could find, and burn things all the time. But you know, <laughs> I, I burn things less now. But I really really love food. <laughs> okay um so apart from writing you're also a filmmaker and a visual artist um what is different and what is the same about the creative process with those backgrounds when you started writing uh did those experiences influence your writing in any particular way and I mean I know again like we talked about the the writing of this book kind of spanned uh several years so did that influence your artistry how did they kind of feed into each other and again just kind of about the creative process what's different what's the same there yeah I feel incredibly incredibly fortunate because like I I come from a family of like artists like um even my grandmother uh and you know not not formally trained my grandmother who raised me and my siblings Mm. and cousins you know, writes and sews and designs and, you know, any opportunity to create. My mother is the same. Um, My father, when he was alive, I believe, was the same. My brother's a music producer, but also like a really gifted, um, like, illustrator. My, You know, just, so it feels, um, it feels, I don't know the right word, like, like really natural to make. Mm -hmm in whatever form. And so I feel nervous now that, you know, people can read my bio, uh, that I have filmmaker on there because I um, got myself a, a, a refurbished 
Canon T2i in like 2012. And when I moved to Nova Scotia the following year, year, I would just like take pictures and film things. And eventually, like over the, you know, by 2017, I was interviewing people and learning to use Adobe. And so like my filmmaking is like self-taught. Like, And I've been lucky in that I applied for a filmmaker assistance program grants from NFB. And there's a, a, a foundation, I think, out of Montreal called the Fabien Coulat Foundation. And I got into one of their programs and made a short documentary. And and so I guess that's why I, I have filmmaker on my CV. Um, because from it really, the medium isn't really what um, I'm invested in. It's the story. So... Mm-hmm whatever I can tell a story through. So when I have the opportunities and skills and resources line up, film is so wonderful because I I think it's more accessible in many ways. Um, And when I don't have those things, writing is like the gift of my life (laughs) because um, you don't need very much to write. Um, Whereas with film, you need quite a bit more. Um, And then, yeah, with visual art or, you know, I just have always doodled and drawn and it all um, experiencing art or experiencing a story, you know, it can be absorbed through any medium. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm just, um, whatever way I can tell it is what I'm looking for. And so how they speak to each other is that, you know, while I was writing this book over the last few years, I got opportunities here, um, through like an artist-run center called the Kyber, through another artist-run center <laughs> called Center for Art Tapes, um, to do residencies and 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 uh, you know and so through those residencies, I got to make and show in a way that I didn't think would be possible because I don't I didn't go to art school and I don't um, you know don't exist in that world in in the same way as like a full-time artist who went to art school who is living <laughs> primarily of their art would. Um, yeah, that doesn't answer your question at all. <laughs> but it was still a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is it, it all, um, some of my favorite books to read reference other art, like books about music or about other art. One, I, one of my a, a good book I really love that does that is Teju Cole's Open City, um, where he the you know it's fiction, but the character is like reflecting on uh, jazz music and psychology and psychiatry and history and architecture, um, and I just thought that was so beautiful. And I only mentioned that to say like everything feeds everything and makes everything better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah that's how that relates. <laughs> Well, and I mean, I think at your core, like you are a storyteller, right? That just seems to be in, in all of these artistic practices, yeah. what you are accomplishing. Yeah, it's it's what I really, really love. Um, mm. Yeah, getting getting to know people, even when they're fictional people, but <laughs> getting to know them um, and, and, you know, being invited to document something. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I, following up on that one, 
again a little bit. And I hope I'm not exposing you further by <laughs> talking <laughs> all about your, uh, your, your filmmaking projects here. But I was reading about your 2019 residency at the Kyber Center for the Arts in Halifax, and uh, specifically the documentary project Reconcile, where you interviewed subjects while they cooked meaningful meals, either comforting or culturally significant. Uh, was this something that you did kind of intentionally in relation to butter, honey, pig, bread? Because I guess in my mind, I can't really help but relate <laughs> these projects once I read about Reconcile. Um, and I think a really, really great, great way, just for the record. <laughs> I think uh, it was just really, it's that theme, the idea of like um, queerness and faith. Because, you know, like, I mean, I was born and raised in Nigeria. That's where I'm from. And, like, queerness is criminalized. And um, not just criminalized, like, because it's one thing if the law says something. But when society is fully on board, it's really scary. And that's what it is, you know. Um, And I know I have, (laughs) oh, my God, most of my friends are queer. A lot of them are racialized from, like, families with where they, like their faith practice is you know grow, they grew up religious basically and some of them don't have a faith practice some of them still do it just was so present in my life and in my own heart that I um I wanted to explore that through art um and and it sh- yeah it makes sense it was on my mind and so it's in the book <laughs> and I created <laughs> art about it <laughs> um but food is a, is a great way to get people to talk, you know. <laughs> and I wanted to give people a chance to, um, well, because obviously people, it was an open call for participants. Nobody was going to be there if they didn't want to be there. Okay. But sometimes yeah. people want to do something and you, they, they, you put the camera in their face. And then I'm one of those people. It's <laughs> like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I have my notes, but there's a camera in my face. I'm like, actually, I can't. I, I changed my mind. Um, so food, <laughs> that when people are cooking or making something, it feels um, less uh, like they're uh, in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got to eat afterwards. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a win-win. I really loved that project. Yeah, I really, it was such an amazing experience. I'm so grateful. Sometimes I forget because 2020 feels like it was many years in one year. Well, that's even <laughs> when I saw that it was a residency from 2019, I was like, wow, that's a long time ago. No, 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 no. That was, that was a year ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And I mean, again, I guess just like as per this conversation dictates it, it, you're a storyteller, right? And this is exactly Mm -hmm. what this project kind of was, was telling these stories Mm -hmm. that you saw value in uh, that I think I'm sure that everybody who kind of experienced that alongside you felt that way as well, right? Uh, It was one of my favorite things to experience, the screening um, because Halifax is really small. Have you been? No, I haven't actually. Yeah. I hope you visit soon. If mm-hmm. only to escape Montreal for a bit. <laughs> but it's <laughs> it was really small, and the Kyber is really small, and the gallery was just my friends. It was just my friends were there watching the recordings I had made of them. <laughs> but they were being so vulnerable in those recordings in a way that might have felt like intense on a big screen. Um, but I loved that project so much. It meant so much to me. I hope to be able to, like, 
do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be great to see, like, that was one of the things about it was just like, mm-hmm. I want I want to see this now after reading the book because it's just like, if this is your thing, if this is your your niche that you've carved out in artistry, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Storytelling and food, like that's all you need. And I'm sold. I'm so sold. Okay. Um, so... We read a book for our St. Henry Books uh, book club about a year ago that uh, admittedly did not go over so well with our readers. Uh, And a huge reason for that was this narrative jumped back and forth between a young woman and her mother, whose majority of the storyline happens in her own youth. Um, It ended up being somewhat convoluted and a little bit confusing to read. And I found the total opposite while reading Butter Honey Pig Bread uh, in that the parts about Canberra and Nachi's youth lend themselves so well to Taya and Kahinde's uh, parallel storyline, and it really enriches her character. Um, so I guess this would be a question about balance again, because like I said, I do think that's something that this book does so well. Um, and you kind of did already bring it up where you were talking about Taya and Kahinde and um, how they're kind of g- the same generation as you would be, give or take a few years. Uh, do you find it challenging as an author or for this writing project specifically to jump kind of back and forth between timelines while writing and keep it kind of coherent and straight lined as straight lined as possible? <laughs> so the first part, um, I'll, I'll answer them separately. <laughs> the first part, I don't find it challenging to jump between timelines because um, while I, you know, over the years writing this novel, I was writing lots of short stories because I, I love to write, and so each chapter, or you know, it kind of felt like a short story, and I just had to make sure that it was coherent in itself, in its entirety, mm-hmm. but also that it could still be linked back. So I, I had to keep a lot of things straight, which I didn't. Um, which is the answer to the second question. My <laughs> editor at Arsenal Pulp, Shara Rose, is the reason this book makes any kind of sense. <laughs> um, yes. Um, she, her edits were so incredible, like things that I wouldn't, I was just like, I don't even care anymore. I'm done. I've been writing this so long. And she'd be like, yeah, but maybe if you move this, over here, then it it smooths out. She really um, helped me find balance in um, each each character's voice because there were points where it was too heavy on like a Kainde narrative. Like the book is like, was well, this a book about Kainde and then two minor characters, or you know about just Ty? You know, so she helped me balance it really and and uh, fact check like the whole editing. In fact, the whole team at Arsenal Pulp, honestly. Um, Cheryl Rose and um, the, the reader, the copy editor, uh, Doretta Lau. Incredible because they helped me make it make sense. Um, there's a lot that goes in. Oh my God. Writing is, is, is the, it's the painful part. And then editing, it kind of gives it shape, but it's also so long. It's just so long. <laughs> so, so many things. Um, how much of, it, uh, how, mu- how long did it take once you were finished writing uh, to go through the kind of editing into publication? 
Well, wow, I think a year because I was in just coming back from Montreal last March, like the beginning of March, right okay. before COVID ruined everything for mm-hmm. everybody. Um, when I got my first editing notes, like, because up until that point, it was just like, sorry, last chapter is coming. Sorry, this chapter is coming. But then when I was coming back, uh, Shira Rose has sent like the first round of edits. So from that point to, you know, maybe a few weeks before it came out in, in September. Yeah, that's how long it took. And um, yeah, and that was with me like dragging my feet because it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a process. Um, I think that it can be shorter, I hope to be like more diligent and like have a proper routine and you know because I I don't think anything has to take as long as it has for me (laughs) so that's what I'm working on right now is like diligence and routine and like writing every day and getting my edits in on time and all you know being just being better um but yeah it did take quite a quite a while (laughs) quite a while (laughs) okay um all right uh, congrats on Butter Honey Pig Bread being a finalist for CBC's Canada Reads 2021. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's so exciting. Um, we're so happy for you. And I, I mean, like you mentioned, we're so happy to see Arsenal uh, Pulp Press so well represented with two titles nominated this year. Um, I actually recently interviewed Joshua Whitehead as well. Um, So I have some Canada Reads questions for you too. And I'm going to try to not stress you out. There's just a couple. It's not (laughs) not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. Um, I'm not even scared. I'm not scared at all. Only because I don't know what the prize is. And I feel like I've already won. I feel like being on (laughs) Canada Reads is the prize, isn't it? Isn't that the prize? It's like whether pretty, or not it's pretty good. <laughs> I think I've already won the prize, which is to be on it. And like this incredible publicity. So I'm like, I've already haven't we all already won? I don't <laughs> Yeah. So I'm just like, may you know, may the best art uh debaser win. Um, but I feel like I've already kind of won. <laughs> I mean, please ask the questions. (laughs) No, I hear that. I totally understand. I think it's such an honor to be selected. And I mean, especially this year, I have like nothing but good things to say about the selection. Like they really took it home with some amazing, amazing books, some amazing representation for Canadian books, young authors. I'm just like thrilled across the board with it. Um, So I guess... After all of these years, you working on this novel, you don't sound like you're very nervous to have it so scrutinized. (laughs) Like, what is it going to be like for you to have this thing that you'd worked on to kind of just be very respectfully um, kind of torn apart? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so the, the only reason I'm not super nervous about it is because it has already exceeded my expectations. Like mm. people who aren't my friends have already already like it. You know, so I'm like, wow, okay, great. You know, people who don't know me personally, who aren't like trying to protect my feelings, are into it. So I'm like, wow, that's more than I thought I could get. So I uh, 
And and then also because I love to read so much, I know that um, there are books that are critically acclaimed. And I read them and I hated them. And there are books that nobody has ever heard of before that fully informed, like, you know, a year of mine. You know, I'm like, this year I'm just going to live as this character would, you know, (laughs) that nobody cares about or people think are super weird. Um, And so, like, yeah, just like recognizing that taste, you know, taste is subjective. And also, Roger Mooking is my champion. Have you met him? He's so great. No, I haven't met. Have you? Did you? Have you ever met him uh, prior to this whole process? No, no, I hadn't met him before, and I knew of him. And I'm like, because I love cooking shows and food. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But then I got to meet him, and he's incredible. Like he's, I don't know, he's really incredible, and I feel super lucky because um, I feel so lucky because he gets it. Like he really gets it. And I, again, more than I could have wished for. Because I think, like, I'm writing about very specific things. Like, it's a, it's very kind of niche, you know. And, of course, not the first, first author by any, any stretch of the imagination to write this. Um, but this is my first book, you know. This is my first Canada Reads. Um, and so it, it's just so specific. And so the fact that people who aren't me recognize some things and and like some things and are compelled or you know find resonance then um that feels incredible so I don't know maybe this is just naivety maybe I'll be like how dare you (laughs) 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 for now though I, I just really yeah I trust that Roger will do his best and I've done my best and that's all there is (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's mostly out of your hands now. Right? <laughs> exactly. And the other books are incredible, you know? They're incredible. <laughs> it's it's all great, but I got to say, I have a total soft spot for the Arsenal books this year, and I really hope that uh, I hope that one of you take it home. That's all I'm going to say. Um, Thank you. Have, so have you spoken to, I get you've spoken to Roger, uh, kind of in between everything has he given you any kind of hints on how he's going to be defending the book and I only assume that it's going to be from a chef's perspective but if you have more insight yeah we've spoken um, a few times we we met once on zoom and then we had like a phone call and then he interviewed me um for CBC and like he texts me sometimes and we we um he tags me on Instagram posts that have my book on it um and he, yeah, so I think his, his, uh, his tactic is to be honest and passionate, but he's so passionate. Like everything he does is with, seems to be with his whole heart. And maybe that's why I'm not nervous is because I know that like it's getting its best shot. Maybe that's why I'm not nervous. It's um, out of your hands, but it's in quite good hands, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I um my actual can I tell you the thing that, that does make me nervous yeah please uh <laughs> well it's quite a, a lot of attention you know and I it's yeah so it's, it's a lot it's a bit of attention now with interviews and it feels overwhelming for sure 
it feels overwhelming because I, in my mind, when I envisioned, you know, when I was a kid and I was like, I want to be a writer when I grow up. I envisioned like someone who was a lot more polished than I am, <laughs> a lot more with it, you know, maybe didn't have colored hair or, or piercings, maybe just like a respectable lady. Um, and I can do that. I can, I can play that role. But I'm wanting to be honest because, um, yeah, I just I'm wanting to generally be honest in my life. Um, and so I'm concerned that people's opinion of the book, not concerned, the thing that does make me nervous, is people's opinion of the book or reading of the book might be influenced by, you know, if, when I don't sound super polished or when I say like a lot or when, yeah, like when my mannerisms are silly. <laughs> because no one was seeing me before. No one was seeing pictures mm-hmm. of me anywhere. But now that's picked up to me on CBC and I'm like, yikes, like, I hope this is like good. I hope I'm polished and respectable. I hope I'm like an author, but I am an author and also me. So alas, here we stand. I think it, I think it's so much more fun to have colored hair and piercings and be uh, (laughs) unapologetically yourself than kind of fit a mold of what uh, we all kind of think and uh, stereotypical author should be but I, yeah. I I definitely think that comes across in talking to you especially just now you know it's uh, you're honest you're fun you're bubbly um and it's just it makes for it makes for a very very lovely conversation um, Thank you. did you ever see that documentary it's I think it's really sad about this woman who pretends to make she it's a huge scam to make a, a machine that can do blood tests on just a drop of blood and her yeah. idea was like a black turtleneck and a deep voice <laughs> I, I I'm just like I get it I get why you would pretend to be I mean it's not it wasn't convincing but because I sometimes like maybe I should just like you know, be more. Just be the Elizabeth Holmes of uh, Canadian <laughs> yes, literature. That's her name. That's her name. Yes. I wonder, like, well, I mean, the thing is, she was running a scab and I'm not. So maybe that's <laughs> yeah, a big but, difference. <laughs> but see, I mean, she clearly also was like, I have a certain role to play. I'm going to do it. Where's the black turtleneck going down an octave? And look at how that turned out for her, right? I think you're on the right path. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, just before we go now, uh, <laughs> completely out of my own curiosity, and if you even want or are allowed to say, are you currently <laughs> working on any new projects, uh, writing or otherwise? Yes, I'm, well, I'm trying to write. <laughs> I'm trying to write. Um Yes, I am. I mean, I don't have anything, uh, you know, like, I don't have anything completed. So there's nothing like secretly in the works other than I'm working on a second manuscript and hoping that it will come to life, (laughs) that I will write it and that it will make sense and somebody will like to read it, (laughs) is what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to reading it, I will just say. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) 
Okay, well, Francesca, thank you again so, so much from all of us at St. Henry Books, from me personally. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast and talking to us. Um, everybody, you can pick up Butter Honey Pig Bread at St. Henry Books now, and you can watch Canada Reads 2021 premiering next week from March 8th to 11th on CBC, CBC Gem, and CBC Radio 1. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.